of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. today and turn over to the book of John, John chapter 8, verse 44. We'll use our Bibles a little bit tonight, and uh, so be ready to go. But we're going to start with this simple verse, John 8, 44. And again, we're uh, in the midst of our Doctrinal Delicacies series, okay? Doctrinal Delicacies. It's almost a tongue twister if you say it fast enough, enough times, okay? But again, we're going to move along here tonight, move quickly. There's a lot to cover. And uh, so... <clears throat> We're going to begin reading here in John chapter 8. We're just going to read one verse, and then we'll kick it off with a little bit of intro, run right on into the main thrust of the message, and get right to this tonight. It says over there in the book of John chapter 8, verse 44, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, and he says, And ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Now here's what I want you to see. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Now, it is not unusual for believers to struggle or to question or even sometimes to doubt their salvation. That does happen. And, um, uh, you know, the reason why that happens at times in our life, there's different reasons, but a lot of times the devil's just trying to discourage you. He's trying to get you 
tripped up. He's trying to get you focused on things that are going to distract you from the real work that he has, that the Lord has for you. And he wants to steal your joy, and he wants to keep you from serving the Lord effectively. You've got to be very careful. You start getting doubts about your salvation. You start wondering about where you'll spend eternity. You need to ask yourself some tough questions. But if you are convinced and you are sure in your life that you trusted Christ and you can point back to that time, that place, and you meant business with God and you have no reason to doubt that you didn't mean business, and all that you're getting is someone telling you in the inside, oh, you're probably going to go to hell. Oh, you're probably lost. Well, I don't, that's not the Lord speaking. Okay, now... I've often said this, and I'll stand to it. The devil will never tell you to get saved. But he will try to get you to doubt, possibly, your salvation. He'll work on you there. He'll try to get you to doubt some things about it. But the Lord, the Lord uh, is the only one that will ever say, you need to settle this. You've got to get this taken care of. You've got to get saved. So if you ever feel that, then you need to deal with that. I don't care where you're at in your life. If the Holy Spirit's telling you to get saved, you better get saved. You better deal with it. And, and not worry about, you know, just what people think. Just nail it down, get settled. But there is this element where we have Satan, and he is a liar. And he is determined to trip you up. He's determined to steal your joy. He is determined to keep you from being effective in the service of God. And so the reason for this uh, message or lesson or whatever you want to call it tonight is to kind of counter his attack. Satan is on the loose, and he is seeking to discourage and destroy and, and deceive us. And so we're going to look at some biblical promises and principles that I believe build the assurance of a child of God. Now, this is not eternal security that we're teaching here. This is eternal life. Okay, and I think it's important to understand that. You know, in the, in the past we've used terms like eternal security, eternally secure. Now, I understand the term, but it isn't a biblical term. But the Bible does call what we have eternal life. Okay, and eternal life is just as good as any, any term we could come up with. And so tonight I just want to talk tonight about this particular doctrinal delicacy, eternal life. Because when you get saved, that's exactly what you possess, eternal life. And so let's consider that tonight, and uh, let's go ahead and go to the throne of grace, and we'll move along here tonight. Father, we love you, and we thank you. Lord, uh, this is a topic, Lord, that... I believe many will be interested in that, Father, often it seems that folks war with this issue. And sometimes it's because of their physical health, sometimes because of their mental status. Maybe we're discouraged or we're down or we're just a little bit, Father, uh, uh, maybe even away from the Lord. And the devil will get in there and really try to wreak havoc in our life. And, Lord, we're just asking you tonight to speak to our hearts. May you reveal to us biblical truths that will sure up our foundation that will enable us lord to stand firm in this area of salvation giving you lord the opportunity to help us to move forward in our christian experience and ultimately be even more effective and used in a much greater way now lord bless us tonight fill me with your spirit let me be your mouthpiece and lord be with every listening ear may our hearts father be in tune with you tonight well thank you in christ's name amen now why do i need assurance of my salvation why do I need that? Well, the assurance of our salvation produces a few things or brings about a few things. First of all, it brings about inner peace. When we know without a doubt we're on our way to heaven, when we can stand with the confidence and believe and know that when we close our eyes in death, we're going to wake up in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ, then there is an inner peace that comes about as a result of that. 
It's never God's will that we as God's people are in a state of panic or fear. The Bible tells us over in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says simply, For God is not the author, excuse me, God, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God's not the one that gives us the spirit of fear. God's not the one that causes us to doubt to the point where we're afraid and we're fearful and we're, we're agitated and we're concerned. That's, that's Satan trying to get in there and destroy, trying to disrupt, trying to distract us from God's perfect place in our life. So inner peace. But also, that assurance of salvation brings faith to grow. Faith to grow. When you can stand on God's Word, when you are strong in the Word of God enough to say, I know I'm saved, I have God's Word on it, I'm settled in that area. Boy, I'll tell you what, that is a platform by which to take the next step of faith. That's when you can really begin to go forward in your Christian life and experience. Because now you have faith not only to be saved and have security and the safety and strength in that, that promise, but now you have the ability to go forward and step out by faith again in another area of your Christian life. So it brings faith to grow. Now, every aspect of our Christian life is a faith aspect. So if we fail to find real faith or strength in this area, it will affect the next steps of our Christian life. So we need our assurance of salvation. We need to know that we're saved on our way to heaven because it brings inner peace. It brings faith to grow. It also brings joy and service. You know, when we're wondering, we're doubting, we're concerned about our eternal life, where we're going to spend it, it's hard to really serve the Lord out of a heart of gratitude. I mean, in reality, you know, the, the Christian life is a life that's lived as a blessing, not a burden. You know, it shouldn't be tough to come to church. It shouldn't be hard to read the Bible. It shouldn't be a, a chore all the time to praise God and to lift up the Lord. It really should be something that's within us, that's, that's simple, and, and we're grateful, and we're excited about it, and we love it, and we love Him. There ought to be joy in serving God. I'm, I'm often concerned, I'm very concerned when people don't find joy in their Christian life, especially in serving the Lord. Well, I got to go do this and I got to do that. And yeah, I know, teacher have to go to teacher's meeting again. You know, th there's something wrong with this, the heart, when we don't find joy in serving the Lord. When you have your salvation settled, when you know that you've been saved by the blood of Christ and you didn't deserve it, and you recognize and realize how wretched and vile and undone you were and how God came down and rescued you from sin. Man, I mean to tell you, there ought to be an attitude of, of joy and there ought to be an attitude of gratitude and there ought to be that element of, man, I'm serving the Lord and it is a privilege to serve Him. And you know what? That's what salvation brings. When we are determined, or should I say, when we are convinced and we have that settled in our heart, it will enable us to serve out of joy. See, I don't serve for fear of losing my salvation. I serve because I'm already saved. You know, I, I don't do what I do because I want to keep something I've gotten. I don't do what I do to get something I don't have. I do what I do because I've already possessed it. And it's called Christ, Him, and then also His salvation. So we need to keep that in mind. A lot of churches and a lot of folks, I should say, uh, in a sense... Uh, they serve out of fear of not making it to heaven. We serve because we're already going. And so that's important. Now, 
What, what, why do I need assurance of my salvation? Not only because it brings inner peace, faith to grow, and joy in service, but it brings hope. Man, there's hope that comes with knowing I'm saved. I mean, hope not only of Christ's return and in my eternal home, I mean, and, and also hope of my eternal home in heaven. I mean, I know that the Lord's promised to come back, and when He comes back, guess who, who's going to be gone? Me. That's hope. I mean, I'm not going to get left behind. I'm not going to be wandering about this earth hoping to find some kind of salvation after the child of God has been taken out. I'm one of them. I'm gone. I've got hope. Man, if Jesus comes today, I'm gone. I don't ever have to worry about visiting the grave. I'm on my way to heaven. That's hope. But not only that, if for some reason I, I don't make it to the rapture, if for some reason I go before, I've got the hope of heaven. The hope of being in the presence of Christ, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Man, I'll tell you what, that brings hope to you. Brings hope. That's some of the reasons why I need assurance of my salvation. That's why you need it. So, how can we be sure that we're saved and on our way to heaven when we die? You know, how can we really know that? Okay, we're children of God, we claim, we, we know the Lord is our Savior, we go to church, but... How can we be sure that we're saved and on our way to heaven when we die? Well, let's consider that. First of all, do you know that God cannot tell a lie? God cannot tell a lie. Take your Bible, if you would. Turn to Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Notice what the Bible says here. Real simple. You kind of catch it in the middle, but you get the gist real quick in the verse. He says in Titus 1, 2, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Isn't that nice when he says, which God, that cannot lie. You know God cannot lie? And so he said, well, of course we know that. We learned that as kids. We've learned that since we've been saved. That's simple. I know, but... When it comes to the Word of God, we have these precious promises. And if we're not careful, we begin to doubt the very promises of God. But the promise is backed by Him. And He cannot lie. He cannot lie. That's a very good, that's a wonderful thing. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises to us, word. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, I should say, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, He's not slack concerning His promise. He's not slack concerning His promise. He keeps His word. And you know what? He's not willing that any should perish. But anyway, God cannot tell a lie. Also, I mean, how can you be sure you're on your way to heaven, saved? Well, you obeyed the word of God. If you didn't obey the Word of God, you're lost, okay? But if you obeyed the Word of God, if you did what God said, then you're on your way to heaven. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, what's the Bible say? It says, somebody know it off the top of their head? For who? Thank you. <laughs> okay, good. Woo. All right. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? There you go. So, I mean, did you call on it? Did you exercise your faith by calling on the Lord, trusting Him, inviting Him in, asking Him to save you? If you did, then you obeyed the Word of God. You called upon the name of the Lord. Now, in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. That's the Word of God. Did you, you obeyed the Word of God? Did you, did you believe on Him? Did you call on Him? Did you receive Him? If you did, well, there you go. So God cannot tell a lie. You obeyed the Word of God. How can I know I'm saved and on my way to heaven? Well, your sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. That's wonderful, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Who will look that up for me? Who will look Ephesians 1, 7 up in their King James Bible? Yes, sir. There we go. Who will look up Psalm 103, verse 12 tonight? Um, in the back, King James Bible, okay. Uh, you say, I have to say, yeah, I'm saying that. But anyway, if you'd have read the book that we read in our singles this, this past month, if you'd have read the book that we read uh, in our uh, Book of the Month Club for the singles class, uh, you would know why that's important. Oh, boy. So There's a book called Purified Seven Times by Bill Bradley. My, oh, my, what an amazing, amazing journey the Word of God has had through the years. How many lives, how much blood was shed to make sure that we have this book that's pure, that's, that's been preserved through the years, and ultimately we hold in our hands a perfect Word of God. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. But nonetheless, we got those verses. Um, I think we'll call that. That'll be good. All right, brother, could you read that? Yes, please. Okay, there you go. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that something? The forgiveness of sins. In the back. 103, verse 12. Psalms, 103, verse 12. That's all right. That's right. As far as the east is from the west. So far had He removed our transgressions from us. Man, listen, I mean, our sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. Now remember, last week when we talked about this, we kind of did a little bit of an illustration showing that even our future sin, our, our past sin was future to God. Therefore, our future sin is no problem to God today, right? We talked about that, the cross back there. My past sin was future for Christ, and now my future sin is still future. So it's not any harder for God to forgive the sin I'm going to commit than it was for Him to forgive the sin I committed. Okay, you know, I mean, that's no problem. Now, again, as we're going to see in a little bit, it does affect our fellowship, but it doesn't affect our relationship. So nonetheless, our sins are forgiven past, present, future. We see in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Just wonderful. Now, we know that we're saved. You say, how can I be sure? Well, you can be sure because God cannot tell a lie. You can be sure because you obeyed the Word of God. You can be sure because your sins are forgiven, past, present, future. You know why else you can be sure you're on your way to heaven? If you trusted Christ, if you believed in the Word of God, because you are created a new creature in Christ. Amen. You're a new creature now, a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very important verse, a very popular verse, a very good verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That's a great truth. Even though you look the same on the outside, you haven't changed on the outside. I'm sorry to tell you. Didn't help. Be, be nice over there, brother. I saw what he just did. I saw. I know. I know. He's just jealous. He's just jealous, brother. 
So even though you look the same on the outside, you are a new person on the what? Inside. And that's the truth. I don't care you say, well, I don't feel so different. You are different. You are extremely different. You aren't even, you don't even resemble who you were on the inside. You are a new creature, a new creation. Well, that's an amazing truth. And that's a truth that we have to reckon to be so. That's a truth that we have to, by faith, believe. That's a truth that if not believed by faith, you'll continue to respond as you did in the past. But if you recognize and realize and appropriate that truth in your life, then all of a sudden you are free to move on and you say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm not bound by who and what I used to be. I'm a new creature in Christ. And by faith you can claim that and move forward. Not only that, but you can be sure you're saved and on your way to heaven because you became the Son of God even as a child becomes one through adoption. You became a Son of God. And it's important that you realize you became a Son of God. Someone says, I'm the daughter of God. You don't want to be a daughter of God. You want to be a son of God. There's a reason why in the Word of God, He calls us sons of God. And I'll get to that in just a second. It's very, very important. But notice if you would, take your Bible if you would, turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It'll become a little bit more clear. You know, today there's this movement to try to make gender-neutral Bibles where they don't, you know, we don't make a difference between male and female, masculine, feminine. We don't want to do that because that's offensive. We're all on the same ground. We're all equal. You better be careful. You can do that in a lot of books, and that's no big deal. I don't care. Do it. That's fine with me. But don't do that with the Bible, because if you do that with the Bible, you're going to miss real truth. Now, let me explain. I'm going to see one of those truths right now. Okay? Now, notice what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Notice now that we, we are the sons of God, and we, we, we have the spirit of adoption, of, of bondage again to fear. We're, we're, we've received, uh, we have not received that anymore. We don't have to be fearful or afraid anymore. But instead, we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's important. He goes on in Galatians 4, 5, uh, uh, Galatians 4, 5, and 6, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He says in Romans, in John, excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 12, he makes the statement, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Now we're the sons of God by adoption. Okay, that's what we're reading. We're understanding that to be so. Here's the bottom line, and this is important. Roman law stated that you had the right to the name and, and the citizenship of that person that was adopting you. You had the right to the name and the citizenship of the person that adopted you. But not only that, but also you have the right to their inheritance, the inheritance of their property. Here's, this is the important truth. Only adopted sons could inherit were guaranteed inheritance not daughters that's an important truth therefore he calls us the sons of god you remove the masculine side of this and start talking about the children of god you lose the reality that we are the sons of god and that the inheritance is ours by right that's important 
That's important. Someone says, well, you can just change. Who cares? That's, not a, that's a stupid law back then. That's a dumb law. It doesn't matter how dumb it is. That's how it was. And when we read the Bible and we understand the historical aspect of the Word of God, we understand the wonderful truth that is, is, is shared with us that not only do we receive the citizenship of it, not only do we receive the name of that person adopting us, but now we receive the inheritance that they have. It's ours by inheritance. It's ours legally. Man, that's a wonderful truth. As sons of God, based on the context of the passage. That's a wonderful truth. Again, amazing. So you say, well, how can I be sure I'm saving on my way? I know I trusted Christ. I invited Him into my life. I called upon the name of the Lord. Well, first of all, God cannot lie. You obeyed the Word of God. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, future. You're created a new creature in Christ. You became the Son of God, even as a child becomes one through adoption. And finally, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Take your Bible, look over at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 there, would you please? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. These are all biblical truths. These are, this is the Word of God. So it says, what can I hang my hat on? Why can I have confidence? Why can I have this security? How can I have this hope? Well, all these truths we're just talking about right here. Notice what it says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He goes on to say, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now that's, that's an amazing reality there. But notice what else he says here in chapter 1, verse 14 now. He goes on to say, Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Notice again that in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of God. Did you hear the word of God? Yes. Did you trust? Absolutely. Well, then once that took place, this is the gospel of your salvation. After that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But notice what the Holy Spirit of promise is to us. See, when we say we're sealed, we're saying that the Holy Spirit of God moved into us. He resides in us. He lives in us. And He is a seal. Now, in the, old te- in the, in the Bible, when a, a, a king or, or somebody would put their seal on something... No one was allowed to break the seal except the person that was authorized to break the seal. Anybody else broke that king's seal that was worthy of death. They weren't permitted in that seal. They're not allowed to break that seal. Don't break that seal. (laughs) Don't do that. It'll cost your life. We're sealed by God, the Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit of God moves in. He's a seal to us. But not only that, he goes in and verse 14 says, which is the Holy Spirit, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now notice again that he's the earnest. That is a pledge or a down payment. You've heard of earnest money before, right? So you don't have all the money you need to purchase it at this point, but you put down earnest money. You put down, in a sense, a down payment. Well, the Holy Spirit is our divine pledge of all future blessedness. I mean, He's our divine pledge. God says, I'm going to give Him to you. He's going to be your earnest. 
And what he is is he's proof positive that you have an eternity not only with me, but you are also the inherit. You are going to have the inheritance of all that I possess. So you have the Holy Spirit. He is the earnest, the down payment. I give him to you as proof of future blessing. Isn't that amazing? That's wonderful. You say, well, how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Well, did you get saved? Because if you got saved according to the Bible, then he lives in you. Again, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He moved into you. He lives in you. Now, that's important. That is a big, big, big truth. Look, if you will, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 16. John chapter 14, verse 16. The Bible says, And I will pray the Father, the Lord Jesus talking prior to His ascension, prior to even His crucifixion, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I'll not leave you comfortless. See the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 20 now. Move down to verse 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Wow. That, the Lord Jesus Christ is in me? Is that what he's saying? If, I know, if I'm saved, if I put my faith and trust in the Lord, if I called upon the name of the Lord, you're telling me that Jesus lives in me, in the person of the Holy Spirit, that the creator of all the universe lives in me. That's exactly what God's saying. It's exactly what the Bible teaches. Right. I, I, do, do I deserve it? Absolutely not. Can I comprehend it? No way. But is it so? Sure enough. Sure enough. To be sealed denotes a couple of things. Number one, it denotes ownership. Ownership. When we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, God is saying, you're my property. You're mine. Look, if you will, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. <clears throat> It denotes ownership, first of all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, we read, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Paul the Apostle talking to the church at Corinth again. Remember I told you this morning, they're very licentious, a very wicked church. Even after coming to Christ, even after being saved, they continued in many of the horrid practices that they had once practiced prior to salvation. They were struggling to get free from the bondage and enslavement of sin in their life. Oh, they had become new creatures on the inside, but they were struggling on the outside. And Paul says to them, he, he says, what? What? Know ye not, he says, know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which you have of God and you're not your own? Don't you guys realize that, that God lives in you? That Christ himself lives in you? 
Don't you realize every time you go down to that temple of prostitutes, you're taking Christ with you? Don't you realize every time you commit adultery, every time you commit fornication, every time that you drink and eat and do things you shouldn't do, every time you surrender your body, your life, to things that are totally and completely unchristlike, don't you realize you're dragging him through it? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He says, think about it. Before you do something, think about who you're dragging into it. You know, if, if, I, if I was involved in pornography, if I, was in, if I was involved in some kind of lewd acts and some kind of horrible type of immorality and and all of a sudden my son says dad where are you going tonight oh come on son let's go together let me show you i wouldn't do that would i i wouldn't do that i wouldn't i wouldn't do that i first of all i don't want him to know about it but secondly i I wouldn't want to drag him into that mess at least i wouldn't i'd be like well you know uh, you just stay here you know can you imagine we take literally god the one who died for us on Calvary, the one who shed his blood, the one who paid the price for our sin. We take the one who created the universe and we say to him, hey, Jesus, come on with me. I'm going to do some wicked stuff. Come on. I want to include you. I want you to see it firsthand. I want you to be right in the mix of it all. Because that's what we're doing. And that's what Paul's trying to tell the church at Corinth and the, the men and women there. He's saying, don't you realize he's in you? And every time you commit these sins and violate these principles, you are taking Christ with you, subjecting Him to that. Boy, because we're bought with a price, every aspect of our life ought to be yielded and surrendered to Him now. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That denotes ownership, but it also denotes security. Again, we're God's forever now. We've been sealed, as we mentioned already. John 6, 37. What a tremendous verse. Turn there if you would, please. What a great verse John 6, 37 is. John chapter 6, verse 37. The Bible says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Isn't that wonderful? I'll know I was cast out. How many, how many people have you witnessed to or shared the gospel with who you knew had been rejected by family and friends and others? Yes, I mean, to tell you, they have been rejected. I, I got to believe that Brother Fred going to the prisons meets people like that all the time. I mean, people that feel ostracized, people that feel segregated, people that feel like as though nobody in the world cares about them, that they're on their own. People have said, discarded people through their lives, whether it be a child with a mom that's rejected them or a dad that's, that's left them and, and has rejected them. It doesn't matter, but it happens on a regular basis. I can still remember sharing these verses with certain ones because I know they feel those feelings. And I say to them, I say, I want to share a verse with you. You've trusted Christ. He's moved into your life. He's your Lord and Savior. He's now your father and you're his son by faith. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And they go, you know what their problem is? Their whole life. 
They've had people reject them their whole life. They've heard promises, I'll be there for you, and then they're abandoned. I love this verse. I love it. Because then I can say to them, the Bible's true and God's not a liar. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Did you just come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, I did. Did you mean it with all your heart? Yes, the best I knew, I meant it with all my heart. Then here's what he says. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You never have to worry about being cast out by him. You came to him, he'll keep you. What a wonderful truth. That being sealed denotes security. Again, the king's seal was final. You didn't break it without possibly dying. You was going to get it. And you know what? We have the most powerful king in the universe today. His seal is more powerful than any. The devil can't break it. You can't break it. I can't break it. It's a done deal. Security. Also, it denotes that that sealing denotes destination. In John, excuse me, Ephesians 4.30. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Say, so day of redemption, I've been redeemed already. I'm already saved. You've been redeemed by your sin. But one day you're going to be redeemed from a world of sin. <laughs> one day you're going to be redeemed from this old body of sin. And one day you're going to literally be in a place where you have a new body and you have a new destination and sin will have no effect, no ability to scathe you or to harm you any longer. That right here, this redemption that it's talking about here has to do with your future when you arrive on the shore of heaven. New body, new heaven, new earth, new people, new Jerusalem. And you're sealed to the day of redemption till the day you receive, till you come into the presence of God Himself. Amazing. Truth. Destination. Destination. Notice he says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. I just want to touch on that real quick. Have you ever felt that, you ever felt grieved in your heart? You said something, heard something, saw something, did something, grieving, grieving. You knew it wasn't just you, it was God in you grieving. Be careful that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Just be careful. Sometimes it's not that you did anything. Sometimes you may have seen somebody else do something, and you can tell the Holy Spirit of God was, mm, grieves His Spirit, and it'll grieve yours even. It's amazing. Finally, we notice these couple of things. You can't... God can't tell a lie. How can I be sure I'm saved? He can't tell a lie. You obeyed the word of God. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, future. You're created a new creature in Christ. You became the son of God, even as a child becomes one through adoption. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And finally, how can I know I'm saved and on my way to heaven? How can I be sure of that? You are kept by the power of God. You're kept by the power of God. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. <clears throat> Notice what it says here in 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection from the dead. Now think about for a moment... 
what's going on in the book of Peter. We have these Christians that have been scattered abroad. We have these Christians that have been being persecuted and martyred for their faith. And now he's going to give them some hope. He wants to encourage them. And he says to them, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. Wait a second. On earth today, if we're not careful, we sit back and go, man, this life's pretty comfortable. It's pretty good. What do I have to think about heaven for? This is almost like heaven to me. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if like some of the martyrs of old, even back in the 1500s, if, if like them, you, you were sitting in your home, mom and dad and your two children, just like they did. I read about it this afternoon. And all of a sudden, they found out that you were actually having services in your home. You actually invited people to come over and have Bible studies. And you know what they did? <laughs> they took dad and one of the children away. And they sent them to prison. And they condemned them to death. Because they believed in the Lord and would not go to the, to the established church. If you'll recant and go to the established church, if you'll say that you'll be part of our group, then we'll go ahead and let you live. And dad said, uh-uh. And so what they do? They burned dad and his son at the stake. They just lit them on fire and watched them burn. And eight days later, they took mom and the other son and did the same thing to them. Now let me ask you something. If that's how it worked in America today, if that's what we had to look forward to every day, is worried about people breaking into our home, taking us off to prison, condemning us to death, and tying us to a stake with a chain, and then lighting fires and burning our legs off till our upper body was still flailing about, but the bottom wasn't, was all gone. Let me ask you something. Would you be looking forward to that inheritance? I'm telling you, we have it so soft and so easy, we don't even know what the Christian life's about. I mean, we're playing a game most of the time. We're pretending to be Christians half the time, if we really want to be honest about it. These people lived the real life. These people faced death every day of their life. These people knew the only thing, and that's the way it was in Peter's day, by the way. That's who he's talking to. They were losing their family members. They were losing their friends. They were paying a price for their faith in Christ. And he's saying to them, man, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Could you call him blessed if that was what was going on to our homes, our families, our churches? Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. When you feel like you want to give up, when you feel like you want to quit, just remember what awaits you. Don't forget, we're going to stand before Christ and be judged, he says. Don't let the devil deceive you into believing that it's not worth living for Jesus. There's an inheritance that awaits you. And he says, it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. He says, man, 
For us, this is probably the most important part because we don't understand what real persecution is. So for us, we just like the idea that we're kept, that we can go out and live, and if we can sin, and we're still saved. Right? That's how America views it. Christianity in America says, man, all that matters is that I'm on my way to heaven, man. I can live how I want. I got grace. I've got liberty. It's wonderful. No standards. Who cares about those? They're not necessary. Separated lifestyle. Holiness. Who cares? I'm going to heaven. That's really, that's pretty much the mentality of Christianity in America. And we wonder why the joy's lost. We wonder why there's no real relationship, no real depth or root to their faith. But let me say this. It doesn't matter where you're at in your Christian life. If you're truly a child of God, your salvation's not based on your ability to keep it. It's based on God's. And you are kept by the power of God. The same power that saved you is the same power that keeps you. That ought to make us want to live right. That ought to make us want to do right. I'll be honest with you. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't want to live back in 1555. I wasn't the one to do it. Now, I'd probably be, I'd be a better Christian for it. I guarantee you I'd be a better Christian if I lived in 1555. But I don't know if I'm willing to pay that kind of price. And you want to know the truth? Until we're at least willing to pay the price, we're going to forfeit some of the blessings that God intends for us. And I just want to encourage you, first of all, to realize you're not who you used to be. You're a child of God today. If you meant business with God, He meant business with you. If you got saved that day, you are kept by the very power that saved you. And that's His power. You don't have to go around wondering whether you're saved or not. You don't have to go around questioning it. If you obeyed the Lord, you obeyed His word, then let me tell you, you're as saved as you can ever be. Now the next step is we're going to have to live for the Lord. Amen? And that, that's not always as easy as it sounds. It's not always as easy as it sounds. So... We're pretty much out of time. I'm going to leave it at that tonight. But I don't mean to be crude and sharing a story like I shared about that family. It was sad. We'll talk about it tonight in our books. I'm sure that somebody's going to bring it up. But, folks, let's, let's think about what we really own and what we really have and what we really possess today. How good we've got it. We have it so good, don't we? Man, we have the ability to go out and preach and we have the ability to live the life and to read our Bible. You realize for years and years, years and years, if you had a Bible, you were condemned to death. You died. Do you realize one young man, he goes into the, he goes into the, the, the church, the Catholic church, at one point where they had, they had Bibles chained to the pulpits. One Bible per church, and one person was authorized to read that Bible. He snuck in, looked around. Nobody was there. He got engulfed in reading the Word of God. Four hours later, he realizes, oh, no. Oh, no. And he realizes the person who reads the Bible happened to show up and was just sitting there. Do you know what they did to him? Burned him at the stake for reading a Bible. We have Bibles at home just gathering dust. One Bible 
was sold for an entire farm, the acreage, the house, the barn, as well as all of the utensils, all the tools that were required to run the farm. One Bible. That's how valuable it was. Can you imagine, would you sell your house to get a Bible? I don't, I don't know that I would. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know. I, that, that'd be a tough one. I'm not even going to stand here and tell you, oh, sure, I would. I don't know that I would. I, I don't know. I'd have to, boy, I'd have to take a lot of grace. Do you think the Bible's worth your house? Is it worth your cars? I'll tell you what, they thought so. They thought it was worth their life. All I'm saying is, let's just thank God for the goodness that we have and the freedoms we have. Let's not abuse them. Let's not lay down on the job. Let's let God have full control of this life of ours. And where we are today, we don't know. We can't possibly tell what it was like back then. We can't say what we'd have done. But what we can do is say what we're going to do now. And what we can do is prove it by our life. So let's be the Christian we ought to be today, where we're at today. They, were, they did what they had to do. Now let's us do what we have to do. Father, we come to you. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to be a Christian.